welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Punch It! My name is Charlene Schmidt and with me as always is... Tristan Riddell. Tristan, I know you are extraordinarily happy with the topic la, la, of today's la, podcast. La, yes. La, 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 that, la, la, you know what? La, 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 that gets stuck la, 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 in my head all the time now and it's all your fault because you <laughs> made me watch season one of Gilmore Girls. Yeah, that doesn't go we away. We teased this last week. Oh, great. <laughs> As he, so uh, we did promise way back when in the earlier days of this podcast that I was going to watch every season of Gilmore Girls. And then when I reached the conclusion of a season, we were going to do a little bit of a recap and an analysis of the writing and where things were headed and all of that fun stuff. And so this is the first installment of what will eventually become this series. I am really excited about this because I feel... Ever since we started a writing podcast, a podcast about writing and pop culture, the first thing that popped in my brain was Gilmore Girls, because we are a podcast about writing and pop culture, and the two best things about Gilmore Girls is its writing and its pop culture references. And so we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the show. We have to talk about the season one arc, how well it was written. We got to talk about the dialogue, and we got to talk about the Amy Sherman Palladino. Yes, and to be honest, I have no real information on her. I've not looked her up. I don't know what else she has done besides Gilmore Girls. You're going to have to educate me. <laughs> and so, well, I can do that. Yeah. So, and I love the dynamic that we're going about with this particular thing is I'm the absolute newbie. I know virtually nothing about this show except for what I have watched, which is now 21 episodes, the first season. Meanwhile, you, on the other hand, have loved this show for years, and you've watched it over and over and over, and I think you uh, know every depth of every detail, <laughs> so this ought to round us out pretty well. Just about, because there is a travel poster hanging on my wall, not inside my nerdasium, not inside my office, on the outside hallway of a, a travel poster of Stars Hollow. It's a fictional town. Wow. And I have a travel poster for it. My wife and I, we love the show. I actually, it took me years to convince her to watch it because I watched this from the pilot. I watched this show when it started in 2000. So that's 17 years ago. It's so weird to think that this show is that old, by the way. It does not seem like it came out in 2000. One thing that really helps is they have the HD transfers on Netflix, which are in widescreen, but it aired in standard definition in 4x3, and that's what the DVDs are. And ah. so when they introduced it onto Netflix, there was this huge surge of popularity where when they struck the deal with Warner Brothers and, and they put it on, there was just, it spiked. Everybody started watching it on Netflix. And the Netflix producers and the people at Warner Brothers were like, well, okay, uh, this was... <laughs> like this was unforeseen uh maybe we should do a revival and that's pretty much how the revival happened because these hd transfers and the 16 by 9 it just gave the show new life and a lot of people were saying exactly what you just said this doesn't feel like it was made in 2000 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the show in and of itself that has a fairly timeless quality to it. I feel, I mean, if we're, let's just, just jump right into it. I feel like overall this show has very relatable scenarios to it where it is a daughter and the mother going mm-hmm. through th- a lot of things like just the standard things that we all kind of experience growing up. Things like your first love, your first boyfriend or what have you. And so in that sense, it's extraordinarily re- relatable. Conversely, though, one thing that, I mean, going in with no knowledge whatsoever, I had no idea this was going to be where Lorelai comes from a rich family and she's sort of the black sheep because she got mm-hmm. pregnant at such a young age. By the way, this podcast is going to be spoilers galore in case you couldn't figure it <laughs> yeah, out. The show is 17 <laughs> years old, so let's just do let's just give a quick uh, recap of the premise of the show. For those of you who haven't seen it, okay, good idea. Please watch it. It's so good. It is such a good show and it's wonderfully written. It's wonderfully acted. And so the premise of the show is it all focuses around a mother-daughter relationship like Shar said and they're so close in age because they're only 16 years apart because she had Lorelai, the mom, had Rory, the daughter, at age 16, and she was a part of a very rich and influential family in the community. And so she kind of – she became the black sheep even more so, and she was always kind of the troublemaker, and this was kind of the straw on the camel's back. And so it was very embarrassing to the family because they're such high-level people. And uh, Lorelai pretty much ran away. And started working in an inn when Rory was just a baby. And then she worked up in the inn and now she runs that inn. And it's called the Independence Inn. And uh, and then Rory got accepted into Chilton, which is a huge, prestigious academy in Connecticut. And uh, they live in a small town called Stars Hollow. And it's, it's a great small town because it's filled with quirky people. Everybody knows each other's <laughs> business. It's very st- stereotypical small town stuff. And so... In the pilot, you have Lorelai who's freaking out because she's like, okay, my super smart daughter got accepted into this great academy. She wants to go to Harvard. How am I supposed to pay for for Chilton? And so she is forced to go to her mother and father who are very estranged. And uh, she asks for the money and they say, of course. But the grandmother, the mother of Lorelai, who is an amazing character played by Kelly Bishop, <laughs> Emily Gilmore. She said, okay, I'll give you the money under one condition. You have di- you and Rory have dinner with us every single Friday night. Lorelai reluctantly agrees, and thus the hijinks ensue. So Rory's able <laughs> to go to Chilton. Lorelai is able to afford Chilton, but now she has to be more integrated into her parents' lives. And so... So Amy Sherman Palladino is the is the creator of the show, and I won't give you her life story, but she started out on Roseanne as a writer uh, oh, she for about did? three seasons. Yeah. Oh, nice. I love Roseanne. <laughs> I, I, I figured you did. And so, yeah, she, she was a story editor and writer for about three seasons, and then she went on to Gilmore Girls. And what happened was is that she, she had a pitch session uh, with some execs at the WB, and with a pitch session, you usually don't just pitch one thing. You say, like, okay, I got this idea, and they go, no, okay, I got this idea, and they go, no, and you say, I got this idea, and and if they go, yes, then you walk away. So they kept saying no to her. Every idea that she had, they're just like, nope, not interested, there's the door, use it, and she goes, okay, um, and she makes it up completely on the spot. She says, we got this mother and daughter relationship, but they're more like best friends, and then she just kind of pitches them the pilot. 
and she just thought of it off the top of her head. Wow. So she did a pitch session, a real life pitch session, how we do episodes on the fly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She wrote an episode <laughs> on the fly in the room and the WB was just like, sold. Here's a check. Boom. Go. Nice. She made a pilot and it was fantastic. They did a season order. And that's why, you know, like that's why the sets are very different from the pilot to the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> because in the in the pilot episode they used real locations that were already built. Oh, and okay. In the second episode they built all the sets, and so that's why Stars Hollow looks drastically different from the first episode. I gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to ask you before we get into what you thought about the season, what you thought about the show, because this is a writing podcast. I want to ask you what did you think about the writing style? Of Gilmore Girls, right off the bat. Okay, it's interesting. I feel like some stuff is incredible. I love the relatability, like I mentioned earlier. So many things that say, like, the interaction between Rory and Lorelai feels so very natural and absolutely realistic. And then sometimes I feel like, episodically, the show is a little too predictable in its setup sometimes. Like, for the problem of the week, it's almost sitcom-ish. But this feels, I mean, it has funny moments, but it feels more like a drama. Would you agree okay. with that? Yeah, I would say that this is a, this is definitely a drama that is funny. You know, like, I don't want to say dr like it's a dramedy or anything like that. I hate that no. word. Um, the, but no, no it's, 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 a, it's an hour-long drama that's funny. Like, this is not an hour-long comedy, but it's often more funny than not. Yeah. So for some examples, I feel like some of the sitcom-ish setups they had were like the double date with um Suki and the produce guy that that whole thing was just so predictable I didn't like that at all uh, also <laughs> Lorelai dating the teacher awkward situation in real life you know that you really shouldn't do that because of the complications that might ensue but with Lorelai the heart wants what it wants and she goes for it she's got more guts than I probably ever would uh, and then also, I feel like sometimes some of the the banter between Suki and the produce guy, like starting off in those earlier days before they become a couple, it's just so sitcom-ish. <laughs> it's so predictable. They sound like the old married couple, and they you know they're going to get together because of the way they interact. And okay, just get it on already. Stop. But uh, anyway... The more intricate details of this show make it way more interesting from a writing perspective where Lorelai is a very complicated character. And the deeper you go into the series, at least so far, in my opinion, has been a great examination of what a wonderful character that they created. Because at first she comes off, I want to say, somewhat immature. She's got that kind of like best friend, cool mom vibe. You know, the mom that everybody thinks that they want, but really, mm -hmm. um, that could go very bad and backfire, you know? Because at first I thought, man, Lorelai is so lucky that Rory is such a good girl. But then on the other hand, I felt really bad for Rory. Because Rory, I feel, has the world's weight on her shoulders, the poor kid. She's wicked smart. She's going to a prep school. She wants to go to Harvard. I mean, she's got the perfect setup for a mental breakdown at 20, okay? The poor kid. Anyway, it, it gets so much better, though, as we go along, though, when we learn just how intricate and dynamic this whole thing is, say, between Lorelai, Rory, her mother, her family, uh, Rory's father, Christopher. 
that's where the writing really shines, in my opinion, is not only creating this dynamic, but playing it out and learning that there's a lot more to these relationships than at first meets the eye. And so going back to Lorelai, her real life outside of work is kind of messy. Like relationships are a very gray area for her, I think. She didn't date around for a whole lot because of her daughter, and then now she's trying, but it's almost like I was screaming at the screen sometimes saying, oh my God, no, Lorelai, you're doing it wrong. Don't date him. Because it seems very painfully obvious at this point that Luke and Lorelai are absolutely meant to be together. So this <laughs> Max guy, what are you doing? <laughs> well, boy, are you in for a roller coaster ride if that's oh, your frustrations. Because boy. yeah, that you're going to find yourself screaming at the screen uh, more often than not. Oh, boy. Okay. Well. <laughs> but that's what happens when you have complex characters. And so I'm really glad that yes. you pointed that out because... What makes good writing is not just good dialogue, but complex and interesting and intricate characters. And Lorelai Gilmore and Rory Gilmore are very complicated people. And very much. I think that's one thing that I really, really enjoy about the show is that Lorelai could just be the cool mom. You know, she's mm-hmm. like, I'm not like other moms. I'm the cool mom. You know, like the kind of mom that gives you a condom and lets you drink at home. You know, like that kind of mom. She could right. have just been that person, but yeah. she's not. She wants to be a good mom. She tries to be a good mom, but she fails constantly. And some of it is because she ran away at 16 and she raised herself. And now she's raising this kid who she desperately wants to be best friends with. But sometimes you don't need a best friend. You need a mom. And that's the struggle. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. I felt that a part of why Lorelai is the way she is, is because at 16, I think maybe she had just a little bit of emotional stuntage. Mm -hmm. She had to grow up. She was having a child of her own that had a profound impact on her psyche. How could it not? But then the thing is, there's this weird dichotomy too, because she runs the inn and she does a fantastic job of it. I mean, she's got that place down. She knows exactly what to do all the time. That's super organized. That's like the constant in her life. But everything else can be a little messy, a little tangled, including the relationships with everybody in her family. So what did you think of the dialogue? Because when I talk to people, when I try to convince people to watch it, I sell them on the dialogue. I say, like, it's really well written. It's really fast paced. You have basically in a 42 minute episode, you get about, 65 pages of dialogue and some people who I don't prep they come to me and they're like wow that was kind of hard to get used to what did you think of the dialogue and the speed it's definitely higher speed I mean there are constant snappy one-liners coming at you all the time and I can appreciate that at first though and maybe especially in the pilot I felt like All of the characters were written that way, and therefore they all sounded the same. Mm -hmm. You have to keep going for them to develop their own voice. And so even though you still have that snappy dialogue as things go along, there is a difference between Lorelai's snappiness, Rory's snappiness, and Emily's snappiness, for instance. Right. But you do have to kind of, for one thing, you have to get used to it. But then also you do have to kind of let it develop a little bit because it sounded initially like maybe Amy Sherman Palladino was writing almost like with her voice (laughs) as it like maybe this is actually her and so everybody sounds like her if that makes any sense 
No, I think that makes sense, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think um, that I think the writers can sometimes overcompensate or really just have one voice for all the characters, and then the they're like chess pieces that that are being moved around or, or sound the same. And I think that's very true for this pilot, and that's what you get in season one. You get the growth of the characters, and I feel like that's the sign of a good show, especially a show back then, back in 2000, where you weren't planning out the entire arc of the season or the entire arc of the show, you know, and everything like that. And it wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't like Breaking Bad or Westworld or anything like that, where it's just, <laughs> you wrote an episode and then see how well it did. And like, you had a general idea of where you were going to go, but you would wait for reaction and critical, you know, reaction and fan reaction to figure out what worked and what didn't. And that's definitely what happened in this first season is Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino were working to find out what worked. And like you said, everyone found their voice because there's a big difference between Emily Gilmore, Lorelai Gilmore, and Rory Gilmore. Even though they're all Gilmore girls, their voices mm-hmm. are very different. Even if they can like shell out those pop culture references or the, those snappy one-liners, it's almost like an Aaron Sorkin TV show without the political references. And it's really cool because Luke is intelligent and has snappy one-liners, but he delivers them very differently from Lorelai, but you see that more and more as time goes on. Right, right. And it's not just the difference between the actors. I mean, what Luke says is going to be different from what Lorelai says. Not at first, but eventually they do get there as they kind of figure out who these characters are. And speaking of Luke... Uh, like Luke is one of my favorite characters. I love the Luke Lorelai. I love Luke friendship and relationship. Luke was originally just signed on for the pilot. Oh, really? The Paladinos really had no plans on keeping Luke, like or weaving him into the storyline. But after they saw the pilot and they noticed the chemistry between Lorelai and Luke and uh, those actors, they were just like, "We gotta keep him. We gotta sign him on as a regular." Absolutely. Not keeping him on would have been a huge mistake. Although I did notice they really did change that character just a tiny bit from constantly complaining about coffee and Lorelai's incessant consumption of it to where like, there's not a word about that. He just pours it after a while. (laughs) Well, that does, it does kind of come back because it's, it's revealed that Luke is kind of a health nut where he doesn't really eat the food that he serves and Oh, he, really? Like, yeah, like he uh, he constantly berates Lorelai for feeding Rory garbage and like pleads with her to feed her some vegetables. So that does come back, but it's not as prevalent as it is in the first season. Oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, not real food and things of that nature, one thing that did sort of bother me about the writing was the occasional character inconsistency in this season. How so? For instance... There's that episode where Emily is mystified by cooking a frozen pizza. But then I think it's the very next episode. She makes a peanut butter and mashed banana sandwich for Lorelai. And it's like, okay, I get it. You're rich. You don't cook that often. But would you not have had your servants make the peanut butter and banana sandwich for your daughter then? What gives? Uh, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm going to let that one slide. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? For some reason, that really stood out to me. I don't know. It kind of took me out of it at times. That and the sitcom setups was just like, what are you doing? But what did keep me going was just how in-depth these characters can be. 
I don't know. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to who was writing these episodes. So I don't know if there's a difference between, say, an Amy Sherman Palladino episode and then, say, if they had a freelancer write a more general one where that's why these inconsistencies were there. But they did have a sprinkling of them, and I did notice. That is a definite possibility, and you will start to notice. Like, you you will start to pay attention on whose name pops up on who it's written by and who it's directed by because okay, Amy Sherman Palladino wrote the first two and then handed it off to some two other writers. And then her husband wrote the fifth one. She wrote the sixth one. And they kind of go back and forth. Okay. Now, are there a solid core of people who write the show as it goes on? Like, do they have a writing team eventually? It's kind of a weird situation where they did have a writer's... They, they hired people when they needed them. Or so I'm told. I Like, this is what I've been told. And if people know better or if people know different, please let me know. Please go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the menu, and then send us an email. Because, again, this is what I've been told. I do not know if this is 100% accurate. I wasn't there. But what happened was is that Daniel Palladino and Amy Sherman Palladino did almost all of the heavy lifting. The two of them were writing machines. If they didn't write the episode, they would at least do the story of the episode, and then they would hire somebody to write it for them. Okay. So I don't know if they had a dedicated writer's room or if they just hired hired people when they needed them because one of the things that happened at the end of the sixth season is that they wanted a new writer's room or a fully stocked writer's room, and the WB wouldn't give it to them, and that's why they left. Oh, okay. So... That would make one think that they didn't have it previously. So, yeah, yes. And sometimes they would write episodes together and those were fun. But I, okay, with the sitcom thing, like you keep mentioning that, like sitcom setups and everything like that. I like those types of things in first seasons because we have to remember that in 2000, in the 90s and everything like that, you had to figure out what worked. We can't look at a show that's aired in 2000 with 2017 sensibilities, you know? And so when I hear things like First Day at Chilton, I think about, oh, the second episode. Or when I hear about (laughs) Cinnamon's Wake, I'm just like, oh, yeah, episode five. Oh, poor Cinnamon, rest in peace. Exactly, or Rory's birthday parties, and the Rory's dance, and Paris is burning, and (laughs) that damn Donna Reed. You know, like, when I hear about these... When I hear those titles and I think about the setup, those sitcom-esque setups, I think they're getting their feet wet. They're establishing what works for the characters. They're growing the characters. And so you can't really have season three episodes in season one because you don't know who these characters are yet. That's true. You make a really good point because it was different then. These days, I don't think people would give a show trying to find its way in this sense the time of day. It just wouldn't happen. Six episodes no. in, bam, you're canceled. You are done. Yeah. Back then, though, it was a different thing. Shows could take their time to grow a little bit, and that's exactly what they did. So thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> but you're not wrong. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're accurate in what you're saying. I'm just coming to its defense. <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's that's a very good, valid thing. I think I was viewing it through a 2017 lens and not even considering that at yeah. all. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you talked about you didn't really like the sitcom-y setups, but you like the characters. You like how the characters grew. Mm-hmm. So what's something that really bugged you? What's, what's something that you're just like, you know what? Let's do it this way. Let's attack it from this angle. How would you punch it up? 
you've seen season one. You have <laughs> no idea what's going to happen in season two through seven or the revival. What would you do to punch up season one? Because you're like, you know what? This worked. This didn't. Mm. How am I going to punch it up? Okay. What I'm going to do right off the bat, I'm going to make Suki and the produce guy. I know I keep calling him the produce guy. I just, I don't remember his name. Jackson. Jackson? Jackson. Jackson. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember that. I would make them a couple right off the bat. Just make it happen. And then they can have the old couple banter. But then later on, things can get complicated when it's like, you know, real fighting and there's tension in the kitchen and blah, 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 blah. Other ways that I would punch it up. I don't know if this is punching up or punching down, but I would actually maybe start with a little bit of a softer easing in of the snappy dialogue. I would let the characters find their voice first rather than having a snappy comeback with every other line for each of the characters because that really did bother me in the pilot. I liked the speed of it, but the way the characters all sounded the same, like I could imagine each any of those characters at that point saying any of those lines. I didn't like that. So I would maybe keep it just a little bit generic until I knew exactly who these characters were and then really make them snappy because there's some fantastic one-liners in this show and I wouldn't want to lose that, but I would want it to develop a little more. Does that make any sense? Yes, and I completely disagree. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to, and I imagine there's a lot of other people saying that too because that's such a feature of this show. I think that's the thing is that uh, granted, I'm looking back on it with 17 years of memories and of watching the show and rewatching the show. And so I see that snappy dialogue is so integral to the identity of the show is that if you try to take that away, even in the first season or try to build it up, then you just have this generic WB, CW, teenage angst and, you know, like I'm a 30 something and I don't know what I'm doing with my life show. But right. what sets this show above the rest, what makes it different, is that writing style. That is true. That is absolutely true. What did you think about the arc of the characters over season one? So you like you have Lorelai and Rory go through some hard times. You have the dance, you know, where she she uh, wakes up and she fell asleep in, at uh, at Miss Patty's. And you like you have Emily and Lorelai's relationship going up and down at the same time that Lorelai and Rory's relationship is going up and down, but yet it ends happy and they're both with people that they really like. What did you think about going from episode one to the season finale? Arc-wise, I feel like the evolution was pretty cool. I mean, yes, there were definitely some twists and turns and I did find it interesting that they kind of ended it on a good note and a solid note even though they weren't necessarily planning arcs as you mentioned earlier but it landed that way it did it just it got there and so if you watch nothing else of the Gilmore Girls and you just watch this you have a complete story but of course things are going to get more complicated mm -hmm. and bigger and yada 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 but you could have just this understanding of these people and like oh well they're on their way the kids are all right happily ever after so I really enjoyed the arc aspect of the show. It, that and just the complexity of the characters, that's kind of what really kept me going with it was just I wanted to keep seeing the development of these, these things. And the family dynamic really is interesting mm -hmm. because I find it incredibly relatable to a point with my own family. I don't know if I've told you this, but my mom had me when she was young at 18, not 16, but 18, close enough. 
So in, in that sense, I mean, in those days, she had a shotgun wedding. <laughs> she was kind of forced into it and things ultimately did not work and yada, yada. And so it was like her and me against the world. And I feel how that's like how Lorelai and Rory are in interacting, only like amplified, completely exaggerated. And while my grandparents were not rich, simply a teenage pregnancy was enough. I mean, they were disappointed and they wish my mom would have made better choices. But then when I did arrive, I was cute enough to where they decided it was okay. <laughs> and things ultimately did turn out a little better. But, you know, I think my mom went through a lot of that. And if my mom were watching that show, she'd probably really understand Lorelai. Mm -hmm. And having a child so young and having to basically give up any career aspirations and all of that at such a young age because her life changed so drastically as the result of having a child. I see that in my own family. I see that playing out and I, I, I really understand it in that respect. Also from Rory's perspective, I was that good girl too. I always got the good grades, yada, yada. I was the people pleaser. I wanted to make peace with everybody. I see a lot of that in Rory. And so I see a lot of myself in Rory at that age. Okay. So that's interesting to me. Well, that's really cool that you have such a personal connection to the show. I'm glad that you, you know, because that's the thing is that this story is more common than it is uncommon. I spoke with a, a friend of mine at work who his mom was, I think he said 14 or 15 when he was born. Wow. He was born in uh, in South America and that was a situation he was born into. And so he has a very unique perspective on life and he has a very different type of relationship with his mother than I do with my mother, you know, or, or, you know, somebody who was born mm -hmm. in a much more stable household, um, quote unquote stable, or, you know, like, or that had much more of an age gap, you know, and everything like that. And so it's really cool to have people's perspectives on this show who are like you, who has a mom who's closer in age than me or some other people. And so, that yeah, that's really interesting. I'm glad that you were able to find that personal connection to the show at the same time, being a good writer and being able to analyze said writing. Uh, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? This uh, We could go on and on and on about season one, but there is just too much to talk about in just one episode because we haven't even talked about this weird character named Tristan in the show. <laughs> and how who does look a little bit like you a little bit just a little more uh, preppy and a little more well blonde. That, he's a very handsome man so i appreciate that i think you're lying but i appreciate that <laughs> there you uh go. You know, it was always weird though because <laughs> i hardly ever heard my name in media you know like in tv and film and everything like that yeah. so when i heard when i heard that he was named tristan tristan dugray it was funny to hear rory say his name with such disdain uh-huh because he would come up and she'd be like what do you want, Tristan? And I was just like, oh, don't say my name so harshly, Rory. Please, come on. <laughs> oh, I mean, come on. Do you blame her one oh, bit? No. Because Tristan starts off as a complete creeper. I really, oh. really hope we learn a lot more about him because it sounds like he comes from a, a less than spectacular family, has some problems of his own, but he, he starts off just kind of on a shitty level. Like, you do not want to be around him. He is not a good person. He's kind of disturbing. Well, he kind of... <laughs> I mean, not in a serial killer way, but just like, no, dude, lay off. Chad Michael Murray uh, is in 11 episodes of the show, and uh, he moves on to go to One Tree Hill. <laughs> so you might not learn oh, that much does? about him. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, then I don't have to worry about that, I guess. <laughs> but no, it's just it's just so interesting because we have 
great characters like Dean and Paris and people from Stars Hollow like Miss Patty. And- oh my gosh, we've not even talked about any of them. Um, I do feel uh, that Paris is an interesting character because I saw the potential for a lot of stereotypical crap, especially teenage angst crap, to go down. And they made it a little better than that. I mean, she very obviously comes from an unhappy family, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And so she intellectualizes everything, and I find her fascinating as a result. Her character goes up and down throughout the show where you're just like, oh, wow, she's really interesting to, oh, my God, this is so repetitive. Go away. You're annoying. And then all of a mm. sudden you're really interesting again. And Liza Weil, who plays Paris Geller, originally auditioned for Rory, didn't get the part. But the Paladinos liked her so much that they wrote Paris Geller specifically for her. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamic between those two characters plays out because they clearly, they have kind of like the one step forward, two steps back kind of thing where things are good for a little while, but then they really regress with something bad coming down the pipe. Now, before we go, we got to talk about like a big portion of the show is their love lives, is Rory and Lorelai's love lives. And sometimes they can mirror each other. Yes. So what did you think about Dean? What did you think about Max? I have, I think, more of a problem with Max and Lorelai than I do with Dean and Rory. I feel like Rory and Dean, they're cute. You know, they're very much your kind of first puppy love kind Mm -hmm. of teenage couple they're going to have. Those incredibly shy moments at first that are just downright juvenile because emotionally you don't know what to do yet and you're figuring that out and it's innocent and it's sweet and it's cute and then I'm sure there's going to be a lot of drama as things go down. That's just inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of breaking up, making up, other people involved. Who knows? I do not know at this point. But as for Lorelai and Max, this is kind of where you have to have the suspension of disbelief because in real life, if something like this happens, Max is going to get fired from his <laughs> job. <laughs> There's got to be some boundaries. And this guy does not really have them. I mean, he finds Lorelai and just goes for it. She goes for it. And the conflict of interest is addressed quite well. And yet they still do this. And I'm like, in real life? This is not how it is because there's just too much at stake. Well, I I don't know if I would say in real life this is how it is because this happens more often than you think. I'm not agreeing with it, but it does happen more often than you think. But at a prestigious institution like this and with them being as public as that, then yeah, there there would be way more repercussions than what was in the show. Right, and I know that Max has a little air about him where he just does not, you know, GAF about what other people think, and I can respect that, but why would you go there in the first place? You are a grown adult. There are occasions on this show where it feels like it is written by a 16-year-old because (laughs) I don't know. I would think that a, a mature adult would just say, hey, look, I think you're attractive and when Rory is no longer my student, if we're still both available, let's go on a date. But no, they don't do that. They just, they go for it. The other time that that kind of pulled me out of the show was um, when Luke got into the fight with Dean. He's sort of, he's pushing around a 16-year-old because he broke up with his friend's daughter. What the hell? I thought that was so funny. Who would do that? 
that? He's trying to get into the restaurant, the diner. And he's just like, no, no, you're not welcome here, buddy. Okay. I know. Like, no, no, Luke, don't do no, that. That's stupid. So funny. No, I loved it. You're not 15 anymore. There's a few moments like that where you'll see Luke, where Luke is a, is a nice person, but he will lose his head when it comes to Rory. He loves Rory so much that it's sometimes debilitating. And I can understand mm. that and get that where he will go weak in the knees for Rory, but in a fatherly way. And I think it's adorable. <laughs> Maybe as things go on, I'll find it a little more endearing. But when that scene happened, I was just shaking my head in disbelief. It was one of those moments that said, yes, this is television. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it's true. And not in a good way. It's true. So overall, how would you rate your season one Gilmore Girl experience? Are you looking forward to moving forward? Are you like, I've had enough? Or is are you going to go, you know what? This is good. Give me more. I'm going into it saying, yes, give me more. I'm curious as to what happens next. I would say maybe about three or four episodes in, I was not nearly as impressed or interested or excited about the series. I just thought if it keeps going uh, without some of the complexities of the dynamics of the characters, I was out. I went into the show not knowing what to expect, having no expectations. And so when it's early on, I just thought, uh, this is not that great of a show. I don't know what Tristan is talking about. Maybe I just don't get it. As I went along, I did start to get it, and it did start to get better. And therefore, I hope it just keeps going up mm -hmm. from this mm -hmm. point forward. And so, yes, I want more. I'm going to go into it excited and eager and ready for more Gilmore Girls fantastic well i am excited for you because i cannot wait to talk season two with you but you'll have to wait for the future for that one and while you're waiting you should also be listening because you should be going to the nerdparty.com for all of our shows we have so many shows coming at you we got content coming at you every single day of the week that is sunday through saturday a brand new episode from the nerdparty.com coming to you and Please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the nerd party. Give us a like. Give us a follow there. We'd really appreciate it. And please, 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 please go to iTunes and write us a review. We would really appreciate it. We love it when you guys give us a review. And if you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. You can give us any review that you think this show deserves, but five stars gets you a mention. And Shar, where can we find you online? Well, aside from this show, of course, you can find me on the Twitter, and my handle is oh the profanity. Where can people find you? You can find me at the Insane Robin on Twitter, and you can also find me on another show at thenerdparty.com called Nerd Nuptial, which is a show that I host with my wife, where we look at married life through a nerd lens. So, I am excited about next week. I have no idea what we're, what we're going to do, but I'm excited for it. That's right, and once again, we're going to be punching it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.